0: Good afternoon it's Monday the 28th February 2022 just after one o'clock welcome to UK Column News your host today Mike Robinson myself Brian Goresh we're delighted to be joined by David Scott bringing us northern exposure from north of the border and our very own Katie Joe,
1: And we'll just say this has been a hell of a morning, Brian.
0: <laughs> a just-in-time <laughs> delivery. So yes. well, there we are, with Unbelievable. modern commercial speak.
1: Um, okay, well, look, uh, let's get straight on then with uh, with Ukraine. And let's see what uh, the UK government is saying about, uh, about things. So here is the defense intelligence, uh, maybe an oxymoron there, but uh, the intelligence update is that the bulk of Putin's ground forces remain more than 30 kilometers to the north of uh, Kiev. Uh, following their advance, having been slowed down by Ukrainian forces defending uh, Hostomol airfield, a key Russian objective for day one of the conflict. Heavy fighting continues. Uh, However, uh, many places remain still under Ukrainian control. Logistical failures and staunch Ukrainian resistance continue to frustrate the Russian advance. Uh, And despite continued attempts to suppress details of the conflict from the Russian population, the Russian armed forces has for the first time been forced to acknowledge suffering casualties. So um, straight away there, Brian, we have uh, this narrative uh, from the UK government uh, of staunch Ukrainian resistance. Uh, and this is something which has been running right through the mainstream presses. I know you're going to get on to in a minute. Well, we,
0: we're going to, we, we're of course, going to uh, do our own analysis of what's going on. But it's, it's a key thing because there's a mismatch between clearly what's happening on the ground and what Western media reporting. So why is that?
1: Uh, Okay, and then the next uh, news of course is that uh, Putin and Lavrov Lavrov have been sanctioned directly uh, and the UK government very excited about this. Uh, Any UK based assets frozen for those two companies and individuals barred from uh, providing them from goods or services and strategically coordinated with our allies they say to impose the most severe uh, costs to the Kremlin. So uh, they're saying that assets of all Russian banks frozen, including a full asset freeze in VTB, uh, coordinated with the US. This is the single biggest financial sanction in history. Individuals and companies whose assets are frozen will be unable to undertake any business in the UK or with UK nationals. And we'll come on to a little bit more uh, detail on that as we uh, sort of have a look at the implications for the West as well. Uh, and then we had this from the Home Office Home Office uh, Official. The UK has multiple official visa routes available for Ukrainians who are not dependents of British nationals. Uk- Ukrainians who reach uh, neighboring countries can access UK visa application centers there. Uh, our visa application center in Lviv uh, remains open and our priority is to uh, deal with family members of UK nationals in Ukraine. Uh, and more staff have been surged, surged, no less, uh, to visa application centres
0: in the region. My question on this course, huge emotion over um, saying to Ukrainians you can come to the UK, but what actual vetting is the UK government going to do of these individuals as we'll see? There's questions to be asked, which I know you're going to be covering a little bit later. Yes, but maybe I could uh, say hello
1: to David at this point and, and ask what do you think uh, of uh, the stuff we've just covered, which, of course, happened over the weekend, mainly.
2: Well, the great difficulty is, of course, knowing what to make of it. We'll we'll come to that point several times during the news today. How much of it is accurate? We know that both sides are seeking to control the narrative and spin and uh, release information for propaganda purposes. Um, Trying to figure out exactly what's happening is extremely difficult. Um, It seems to me that it is neither a a full-out Russian assault, it's much more limited and targeted uh, than that, Uh, but there does seem to be uh, some degree of stubborn resistance from the Ukrainians. So any idea that they would just melt away um, or that they'd be overthrown uh, quickly with with barely struggles, clearly not correct either. Um, So uh there's but there's very little there's very little intelligent commentary in the mainstream press about what's actually going on
0: indeed yes well and that's very interesting because of course you would have thought that uh, the BBC and uh, uh other media in u k would have been wa- awash with comments as to what was going on because we know that u uh, k and western media loves a war but uh comment is well the is... the
2: they... They're, they're awash with comments, Brian. Uh, the BBC World Service has basically been doing 24-7 on the Ukraine now for five days. Uh, what they're not awash with is any insight or, or honesty or really very much information. Uh, it's, it's the same talking heads being, being um, trotted out again and again on a loop uh, to fill airtime, but there's very little insight.
0: Yes, agree with that. I I should have said factual information as opposed to (laughs) comment. (laughs) Um, So,
1: uh, uh, David, let's uh, come on to this tweet from uh, Euromaidan Press. Uh, UOC of uh, Moscow Patriarchate Leader Metropolitan uh, Onufri uh, publishes appeal calling for support for the Ukrainian army uh, and on Putin to stop fratricidal war.
2: So this is is the the patriarch of the um, the, the primate of the, uh, uh, the Orthodox Church in Ukraine. Um, and it's an interesting tweet, I think, for a couple of reasons. Uh, firstly, we see that there is more to the Ukraine than um, simply politicking and corruption. We see that they have institutions um, like a church which is very closely related to Moscow and to Russia, but does have a sense of itself as well. Um, and a, a bit more depth. So that, that would suggest that there's more to the Ukrainians than some might be suggesting. Um, but the, the really significant thing is the way they describe the war. Um, as as fratricidal. this is brother killing brother, and he makes reference to uh, Cain killing Abel, and um, uh, clearly seeing no good in the war, and, and and wanting it to to come to a rapid conclusion and I think that sort of call will resonate on both sides of the conflict so um, I thought that was a, a, an interesting an interesting um uh, it, uh, uh, addition to the to the debate there from um, from the church in the ukraine now <clears throat> to get to um the uh, the, the, the coverage of the resistance which has been, been running wall-to-wall in the, in the UK and Western media all weekend. Uh, here we've got The Guardian. Uh, how Ukrainian defiance has derailed Putin's plans. Um, and and they're the, the illustrating this not with a lot of insight and facts and statistics because none of these exist. They're illustrating it with anecdote. Um, and this particular anecdote is uh, 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 <clears throat> a Russian um, armoured vehicle, which was broken down. Um, and, and, a, and a Ukrainian farmer comes up and says, Look, looks like you guys have broken down. Um, he said, we ran out of fuel, one replied. Uh, can I tow you back to Russia, he joked. They laughed and asked him for news. Do you know where you're going, he inquired? No, they said. So you, you've got this little—if it's true—this this little snapshot of the, the fog of war and things going wrong and all the rest of it. Uh, but this is this is f- standing in the place of actual analysis. Um, and uh, the Mail Online is 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 pushing um, why Putin's fifteen billion pounds a day invasion isn't going to plan, and and starts quoting the MI six chief more of him as the news goes on. He warned, the MI chi- MI6 chief warns the war is unwinnable. Um, and the ex-defense chief says Russia will run out of cash and arms if Kiev holds out for 10 days, as Moscow sends weapon after Ukraine obliterated the convoy. So we see all of this um, rhetoric bigging up the K- Ukrainian resistance, some of which may be, may be true, some of which may be entirely accurate. It's very difficult to know. Uh, And they're suggesting that things are not going according to Putin's plan, which is almost certainly correct. You know, no plan survives contact with the enemy, said Rommel, and he wasn't wrong. Uh, The Mail Online continues. Um, The head of Britain's MI6 uh, intelligence service believes the war in Ukraine will prove unwinnable because Vladimir Putin will never attain political victory over the country's people, which is a different thing, right? Uh, the article Moore was reacting to was penned by Lawrence Friedman, Emeritus Professor of War Studies, King's College London, who said, "Quote: Even if the government um, loses control of the capital and is forced to flee," so this is quoting uh, the head of MI six. Even if the government loses control of the capital and is forced to flee, and the government and the and the uh, and the command systems for Ukrainian forces start to break down, that does not mean Russia won the war, he wrote. Um, sorry, that was, I beg your pardon, that was Lawrence Friedman. Uh, and, the, and Moore, the head of MI6, um, tweeted out that this was fascinating and makes sense to me, he said. Now, of course, if the government loses control of the capital and is forced to flee and loses control of the armed forces, uh, and, and the integrity of the armed forces breaks down, that does mean Russia has won the war. So this is a very strange thing. So what they're saying is, well, Russia may win the war, but they'll then lose the guerrilla Vietnam-Afghanistan-type Vietnam, conflict that will follow. Um, this is, this is a, a kind of bizarre analysis, because will Russia be foolish enough to become embroiled in any such thing? Um, this, 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 they don't appear to be, uh, at the moment, uh, engaged in anything like that, and they've surely learned the lesson from Afghanistan. So this is a, a, a strange analysis that's being then endorsed by the head of MI6. The head of MI6 pops up here again with a very strange tweet. Um, he says, with the tragedy and destruction unfolding so distressingly in Ukraine, we should remember the values and hard-won freedoms that distinguish us from Putin, none more than LGBT plus rights. So, and he then goes on about LGBT um, month in 2022. And this is just bizarre. I I mean, I was stunned when I saw this. There's a war going on, and he's going into all the woke stuff and suggesting that that's what separates us from Putin. Now, we'll talk about this maybe more in extra time, but of course, the LGBT and the attack on the family and the attack on traditional values was a communist inspired attack on Western civilization in order to break it down. This is Antonio Gramsci's ideas. And here we see the, the chief of MI6, who's meant to protect us from such assaults, endorsing it. it it's just very, very bizarre. Is he. Um, <laughs> Is he,
3: uh, You're is lost he that for much words. of a
2: fool? Well, they, is, he that, is he that much of a fool? Or no, is he actually working to, an, to another agenda? I can't believe he's a fool.
0: I don't think he's a fool. He's working to another agenda. And uh, we'll give you some help with this one a little bit later in the news when we have a look at manipulation of the media inside Ukraine. And we can bring... Mr. Moore back uh, in perspective, I think, but the first part of your analysis, I think, is spot on. This is part of a deliberate policy, and he's let the cat out of the bag.
2: Now, one of the things, one of the themes that's coming from the Western media is uh, they're portraying the the Ukrainian armed forces in a very strange way. There's lots of shots of, of grandmothers learning to fire Kalashnikovs, and it would appear that um, a great many of their, their soldiers and, in fact, stunningly attractive um, young ladies. As you see here, this, there's, there's images like this all across the Western media. Um, and um, this is obviously for PR. This is obviously to generate sympathy. This is to generate an emotional response. It's not to communicate information and it's not to communicate news. Um, now, it gets then even worse when you get to what the British government's saying, some of which I find ex- exceptionally disturbing. So here we have um, uh, sorry, make your Here we have um, a, a, a bit of uh, a still from a, a video interview that was done by Talk radio. Conservative MP Sir Roger Gale says, "All Russians living in Britain must be sent home. We've got to send a very harsh message the Russian people to Putin. So we're going to target everyone who's Russian over this and start, start infringing on the rights because that's the way we demonstrate that we are not like
0: Putin. <laughs> well, of course, we're not going to send I, I, home the Russians funding the Conservative Party. They'll be given special protection, one would hope.
2: One, one would suspect that's the case. <laughs> um, and then, then we get Liz Truss. Now, Liz Truss, e- if anything, is, a, is actually a war. The Mail Online reporting here, Liz Trust backs Brits going to Ukraine to help fight Putin's advancing army as embattled nation issues a call to arms for foreign fighters to join the war effort. Uh, So Liz Trust said she she would support British nationals who choose to fight in in Ukraine. Uh, President Zelensky uh, has promised to arm foreign volunteers uh, who travel to the country to battle against uh, Vladimir Putin's forces asked on the BBC Sunday Morning programme if she would support UK citizens, who chose to answer the call, Mistrust said, I do. I do support that, and of course that is something that people can make their own decisions about. Now, what she's saying is she has given the green light for every mercenary organisation operating out of Britain to send all of their people to the Ukraine, because they're saying it's basically been done with the blessing of the British government.
1: Uh, David, uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, but if we think back uh, a couple of years, uh, people went to Syria to fight against Assad uh, and then found themselves on the wrong end of that argument. Uh, I wonder what the possibilities are in this case.
2: Can, can, can the mercenaries trust, trust Liz? trust? No, I, I, I don't think so. I suspect they probably shouldn't. Or Liz's secretary, as the BBC memorably called her on an interview. Uh, a few days ago. Um, Now, uh, then we get to the situation in Europe, and I've got a little video here of uh, moves being taken by Ursula von der Leyen.
4: In another unprecedented step, we will ban in the European Union the Kremlin's media machine. The state owned Russia Today and Sputnik as well as their subsidiaries, will no longer be able to spread their lies to justify Putin's war and to soar division in our union. So we are developing tools to ban that toxic and harmful disinformation in Europe.
2: So there we go. You see, you see ignorance is strength. And it's, and it's good not to know what the other side is saying, because then you'll be more unified and you will be more effective in forming a battering ram against the Russians. This is, this is wartime controls on free speech, um, and it shows, again, because the EU have done this for years, a real fragility when faced with anyone with a different point of view. They, they, they don't relish, relish the argument. They seek to brand it as... Um, False, misleading, and essentially criminalise it, or in this case, ban it.
1: Um, Um, David. um, So, last week, last week in our coverage of uh, Ukraine, resulted in a couple of emails from people saying that uh, the UK column uh, was not providing a balanced uh, view; that we were uh, unbalanced, and we needed to provide a a balanced uh, view of what's going on in Ukraine. And, and of course, uh, the argument is, I take the argument, but at the same time. Uh, the BBC, The Guardian, The Times, and so on, The Daily Mail are not providing a balanced view of what's going on. It is extremely one-sided. Uh, and so if you take uh, what we were saying last week uh, at face value, then you might say that that provides some balance to what the mainstream media was uh, covering. But on the other hand, if uh, Ursula von der Leyen believes that RT is a Russian mouthpiece, that needs to be shut, out, shut up for uh, pushing out uh, disinformation, which is, uh, you know, causing strife within Europe. Um, at what point then does that uh, extend to organizations such as, such as ourselves and others who are actually uh, providing some context beyond what the mainstream media is providing?
2: Well, this did occur to me. Um, I mean, <laughs> there's several issues that crop up here. One, um, how long will we be tolerated to have a different view? It's not, it's not, it's not RT's view, it's our view, but it, will it be will it be seen by Ursula von der Leyen as 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 subversive in some way uh, because we don't agree with her narrative? Uh, who knows? Time will tell. Um, and the other thing is, of course, I, I like the the constant reference to Kremlin Kremlin owned media, right? Because the BBC is independent of the government. Right? It relies on government legislation for all of its money. It relies on taxation from the government that's ring fenced for the vast majority of its money. Um, and it relies on uh, government enforcement to make people pay. But it's independent um, in a funny kind of way. And we know that the media, even the private sector media now, are so dependent on government advertising in this country that they'd say exactly what they're told to say. And we've seen them fail over COVID. We've seen them fail. We're we're watching them fail over the Ukraine. There are no um, dissident voices practically allowed in Britain because of the government control of the media. And yet Ursula stands there and says, oh, it's Kremlin controlled because that's what makes it bad. No, it's, it's, it's a little more obvious in Russia. It's just as controlled here, but it's done through several intermediaries so that there's plausible deniability. That's the only difference. Now, um, when, when we predicted... And I predicted um, that a war in Ukraine was likely some years ago. Um, the, the issue was, I, I saw it as a way that it would promote the militarization of Europe. A limited war in Ukraine would frighten the Germans enough and frighten the Europeans enough that you would see increased defence spending and rearming. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's happened a little um, a little here, because here we see uh, the Germans announcing that uh, they're going to uh, increase uh, defence spending, boost it by 100 billion euros, meet, for the first time, the 2% GDP GDP NATO target, oh, and use more coal, because they don't want to be dependent on Russian energy sources. So realism starts starts to dawn. Um, and this goes on, and they're also saying they're shipping a thousand anti-tank weapons and 500 surface-to-air missiles from German military stocks to the Ukraine. Um, and uh, the German parliamentarians uh, were told in the Bundestag uh, uh, by the minister responsible that in attacking Ukraine, Putin doesn't just want to eradicate a country from the world map; he is destroying the European security structure. So it's being it's being spun as an attack on the whole of Europe, and the whole of Europe are being encouraged to mobilise to at least some extent uh, in response. Um, So um, we do have some dissident voices in the UK, Uh, John Pilger's one, Uh, he writes, the hypocrites on parade, watch them on CNN, the BBC, read them wall to wall, He's he's not wrong there. Now imagine a strategic enclave of Britons or French or Germans or Americans under violent siege, shelled and terrorised for eight years. Would this be tolerant, tolerated by the rulers of the world? And he's, he's raising the important issue of seeing things from the Russian perspective. One of the reasons that it's very bad to ban organisations like RT is it's important to find peace and to find ways out of this to see things from a Russian perspective. Um, Uh, You were talking on Friday uh, with Patrick, um, uh, Mike, about uh, some of the British roles in uh, Ukraine and some of the uh, extremists in the Ukraine. Um, And we've got here an article from Declassified UK uh, highlighting the same concerns. It says UK commanders in Ukraine um, meet the neo-Nazi-linked National Guard to deepen military cooperation. Um, now this um, you see here this um, <clears throat> sorry pick upon your pardon. Uh, the so the, the, this article goes on and says the Ukraine National Guard says it had a meeting last year with, U, with, with the UK military and in, uh, in which the UK military agreed to start training its forces, which include a thousand-strong national unit. The UK Ministry of Defence disputes this claim. It's all relating to Operation Orbital, which launched in. the 2015 and has so far only trained Ukraine's regular armed forces. This is UK forces training forces in Ukraine. Expanding it, expanding it to include the National Guard would be controversial due to the sensitivities around the far-right sympathies of some of its units. Uh, British commanders of Operation Orbital, UK's military training mission in Ukraine are pictured alongside three NGU officers as they sit around a table uh, taking notes. So that um uh, that shows uh, that, there, that there is at least some legitimate concern over some of the people that we might be backing here, and that needs to be discussed more openly.
1: Uh, yeah, well, yes, we did mention that a, a couple of weeks ago uh, because Operation Orbital, of course, as the, the UK government claims, uh, was only uh, dealing with uh, UK armed forces or sorry, Ukrainian armed forces. But then they did acknowledge some support for the uh, National Guard. Now the question is. Were Azov Brigade uh, involved in that? And if you remember the Daily Mail article, um, absolutely highlighting uh, the fact that Azov Brigade um, openly wearing their Nazi uh, insignia. But look, here's uh, here's the thing: Facebook has now decided to allow praise of the neo-Nazi Ukrainian battalion, that's the Azov Brigade, uh, if it fights Ukrainian uh, Russian invasion. Sorry, this is in the intercept, uh, and. Uh, So they quote uh, a statement from Facebook, and here it is uh, from Meta, of course, because that's what it's known as. For the time being, we're making a narrow exception for praise of the Azov regiment. Remember, these are people that are wearing SS badges and other Nazi regalia in their day-to-day operations, uh, strictly in the context of defending Ukraine or in their role as part of the Ukraine National Guard, but we're continuing to ban all hate speech, hate symbolism, praise of violence, generic praise, support or representation for the Azov regiment and any other content that violates our community standards.
0: So, so you can be you can you can be extreme right wing to the extent you can be accused of being Nazi as long as you're fighting on the right side that's okay with them.
1: So you have to be the right kind of Nazi. It's a bit like Boris and his Russian money. you've got to be the right kind of Russians to put give money to the uh, Tory party. you've got to be the right kind of Nazi. Uh, to have your uh, material promoted on Facebook, it seems.
0: It's getting a bit obvious, Mike, I think. Uh, Well, things are not obvious to everybody. And I just picked out this email because I think it it was an interesting one. Uh, This is what was said. We've all become more knowledgeable about the background to the Ukrainian crisis over the past few weeks. And as always, the effects on those living in and around the region are devastating and have clearly been so for many years. What I'm struggling to comprehend is why would a, World Economic Forum participant, i.e. Putin, who appears to have gone along with the COVID scam, mask jabs, etc., then perform so as to fracture the World Economic Forum alliance. Is this part of a complex World Economic Forum plan to convince us that all the world's leaders are madmen and thus encourage support for a one-world government? Or has Putin and maybe his Chinese counterpart decided they could go it alone with their own one-world domination? And the ending of the email was: It will be interesting to hear what you and your colleagues make of this very confusing state of affairs. My limited exposure to government strategic planning certainly is suggestive of plans within plans, i.e., multi-level scenarios being brought to bear. Well, I'm just going to say very nicely that, uh, of course, we are certainly seeing very powerful hands controlling the political agenda. They've got to be, in my opinion, the same hands that are controlling. Uh, the world's uh, banking cartel, because you have to control the money to control the politics. But really, the the person sending in the email, I think, has answered their own question, that there will be divisions in the ranks. There will be infighting. There will be um, attempts to grab power. There is not going to be any uniform plan that's going to be 100% successful, as uh, David Scott mentioned with regard to to fighting in Ukraine. So what we've got to do is look at the actions on the ground um, piece by piece. We've got to look at the evidence, and uh, the evidence we are seeing at the moment is clearly that Putin is not going along with those plans. What has he got in store later? We've got to wait and see, Uh, but at the moment things are not going entirely the, the, the way that the World Economic Forum's control would like it to go. So let's return on the uh, press reports. This was the mail. Kiev survives another night. Demoralized and exhausted Russian troops suffer heavy losses. I can't really read too much more of this because, of course, what the Daily Mail hasn't been showing is any evidence for those demoralized and exhausted Russian troops. So I was just going to label that one with spin. Uh, I can't think of any other word to put on it but let's see if we can bring up the video clip with the uh, Moscow journalist uh, Tatiana Kukareva because she's asked a very well she starts to talk but what she says is very very interesting. Now let's listen to this lady we're accepting she's a Moscow journalist but listen to what she says and how the gentleman interviewing her responds.
3: what the russian troops are doing
5: well first of all let's uh, you know let's get one thing straight uh, you're saying troops however there has not been any proof of actual troops going into ukraine and the ministry of defense has stated clearly that this operation which you cannot truly classify as an invasion because again there are no troops on the ground has been targeting military targets Within Ukraine, so we're talking airfields, we're talking air defense systems, we're talking... Katya, you're
3: not serious, right? I mean, I I want to be, you can't be serious. (laughs) This is not an invasion. I want to ask you why this is not an invasion, what we're seeing now in in Ukraine.
5: The definition of the word invasion...
3: What? Do you know it? I'm not playing a game with you, Tatiana. I'm asking you: How on earth can you justify what we're seeing now is not an invasion? You call yourself a reporter. Answer the question: Why is this not an invasion? What's that? What's that? The, the justification there in Moscow.
5: Well, again, an invasion would actually require for Russian troops to go into Ukraine, which they have not. There's our precision strikes that being that are being carried out from Russian territory, and they're only targeting military targets. Uh, As for justification of the operation, I believe that the president has actually been very clear so far. Uh, He recognized the independence of the two republics on Monday. And what you're showing now, those, uh, unfortunately, the pictures that cannot be verified that those are troops going into Ukraine. Uh, There
0: is no verification. Uh, Tatiana, welcome. Thanks for being with us here on India Today's coverage. Uh, Well, there you have it. So uh, very interesting what that young lady is saying, that there has effectively been comprehensive surgical strikes against mainly military targets in Ukraine. The point she's making is where are all the troops on the ground? Because, of course, we're not seeing the images in any of the BBC or the Western media reporting to demonstrate that there has been a major full-scale invasion. What is the result of what she says She's cut off, and particularly after she's pointed out the video clips she maintains are not actually of uh, Russian troops entering Ukraine. So she's cut off. We're not allowed to hear what she says. And then it takes uh, uh, a station in India to conduct a proper interview with her. So let's have a look at this second video clip now. So compare what that Moscow reporter was trying to say with how the West would have us look at the Ukrainian situation. And this is a video clip with uh, Good Morning Britain's Richard Gaysford, who is apparently on site. Yeah, we have uh,
2: taken uh, quite a number of precautions. I don't want to go too deeply into them, uh, but
0: uh, we have uh, got our, uh, in fact, it's just been passed to me now. Uh, we have got our uh, Personal protective equipment uh, to put on, I can put that on. We also have our uh, vests, uh, should we... They need arise rise as well, Ben and Kate. It is a, uh, a tricky time, I think, for, um, uh, for for many, obviously, in the city who don't have this kind of equipment to hand. And as I look out now, there are still people walking through the we'll street, you... walking their dogs, uh, <laughs> just trying to lead we're a
2: gonna, normal we're life. We're going to let you get to uh, safety, uh, we're gonna, Richard, and
5: uh, um, we'll come back.
2: Get, let me get myself... Let me get,
1: Sure, OK.
5: <laughs> and we'll come back to you. You get yourself safe.
1: I mean, this is not credible. This is, he's just, he even admitted there's people walking their dogs in the streets. Where, it, w- you compare this to the, the footage of Iraq, for example, when we, when we decided to invade Iraq. To or get the rid severe of a severe
0: fighting in, in Syria. Right. And, and So where, where is it? Well, uh, we're, we're struggling for words because it is so appalling. But if if you saw the very start of that clip, which is a little bit messy, he's completely caught out. And then the where's your safety equipment is thrown at him. And of course, he's then got to play the game. Meanwhile, you can see the people walking across the street in the background. So we're now starting to see the evidence that what the Western media, BBC, and uh, newspapers are saying does not match up. With what the situation appears to be on the ground. But it gets worse because here's the mirror um, coming up with this journalist, BBC journalist Clive Miri. He apparently sheds a tear while reporting live from Kiev after all the bloodshed. Um, It gets really confusing. He said a country at war after a huge Russian military offensive by land, sea and air. But we come back to what the lady journalist was trying to say is where are the thousands of troops on the ground? We're not seeing them. There's something different going on here. Uh, And of course, the BBC has just been pushing this line. And we picked up a few days ago that the lady, Sarah Rainsford, who was pushing this uh, uh, fact that uh, uh, Ukraine was something Russia had pushed and pushed to do, a full-scale invasion uh, she'd got an axe to grind because she'd been thrown out of Russia. But let's get back onto the meat of it, which is the BBC's own charity, BBC Media Action. We have pointed out that they've been in Ukraine, supporting the newly established national public broadcaster in Ukraine to improve its capacity as an, quote, independent, impartial news broadcaster through two projects. And if we have a look at those projects again, um, So I've switched a little bit quickly there, but what you will see is that these are projects funded, uh, as you can see, by the EU itself and the UK Foreign and Commonwealth and Development Office. And it's called good governance. So when the UK and the EU can get inside Ukraine and control its media, that, Mike, is good governance. Of course. And when you can censor any other viewpoint, that is good governance. So this is the sort of glossy image from BBC Media Action. And note that uh, inset headline, which I've taken out of their text, shaping and challenging the agenda. What are they talking about? Well, it says they've covered such major stories as unrest in Belarus, conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh, and of course, the COVID-19 pandemic, an ongoing conflict in the country's east and in Crimea. So this is the BBC boasting that it's now able to control the agenda and insert these narratives into Ukrainian uh, news stories. And this is where we get a little bit more, because if we have a look at this paragraph, including government measures against the LGBTQI plus community in neighboring Hungary, extensive coverage of sexual harassment in a Ukraine university, and evidence suggesting non-binary persons held high office a thousand years ago. This is the BBC propaganda to destroy a country from the inside. So they're focusing on conflict, and undermining traditional Ukrainian society. This is what the BBC is about inside Ukraine. And we get a bit more from this headline Ukraine to broadcast to Crimean Tatars. Where's this come from? Well, this has come from BBC Monitoring, which of course works hand in gloves with the UK security services. And so what the BBC and the UK government are doing is cynically using Ukrainian people to unleash an information war on Russia and the Crimea. David, just very quickly, this is so disgusting, it's so cynical, it's so wrong. The BBC should be closed down and exported to Russia as fast as possible. I don't, I don't know you how couldn't else do that
1: to, to the Russians.
0: Well, I'm sure the Russians would know how to deal with them. It's, it's been obvious that so many of the BBC journalists are running as fast as they can from the Russians, leaving their Ukrainian friends to suffer. Mm. And I think it's because the Russians would know exactly how to deal with them. David, just very quickly, this is not imagination. This is fact. What's going on here? The,
2: the, this is, this is, this is a soft power attack. This is- hybrid warfare, right? The BBC is being viewed as an arm of the hybrid warfare, total warfare state. And they're out there to change Ukrainian society, and they're out there to change ultimately Russian society. Um, Now, the, the degree to which what they are peddling was the sort of thing that the communists peddled To destroy the West in the 50s and 60s and 70s is remarkable. And um, one of the ironies of this is that some of the the, the toxic ideas that were weaponized against the West uh, intentionally by the Soviet Union are now being resisted by the Russians, but have so have have so swept all opposition aside in the in the 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 elites and the universities and the governments and the, and the institutions of the West, that they, are, they have become what the West now believes. We've now got an MI6 chief who says what separates us from Putin is that we, we, we celebrate um, LGBT plus month in 2022. Uh, that's, that's the difference. Um, it it's shows a society in the West utterly uh, rootless and lost and this is seen this is this is noticed from russia and it's noticed from parts of the ukraine and it's it's seen for what it is and this yeah. is why we have to have dialogue so that we can understand the other point of view
0: yes we have to have dialogue. That's true. And if we had the dialogue, we could discuss how Western banks helped fund the Bolshevik revolution to create some of these propaganda techniques in the first place. But of course, that's not going to appear on the BBC. Back to their charity, BBC Media Action, and I encourage people to go to the website to read all this stuff yourself, because they're, they're talking about a second phase of their project to control the uh, Ukrainian Uh, Media called News House 2 has brought the opening of the new newsroom. It brings in the German partner here. And it's when we, we now see Germany going to give weapons or pump weapons into Ukraine, we can see exactly what's going on here. But it says, overall, the project reflects the joint expertise and effort of media development organizations linked to, quote, leading European public service broadcasters in Europe the same broadcasters that are not going to allow everybody to speak. Now we've shown that part of the rhetoric which the BBC is going to push out from Ukraine was the LGTB.
1: LGBT. Thank
0: you. Q plus it's difficult to remember all of those little uh, uh, special words there. But um, That brings us to this man again because Richard Moore clearly knows what he's talking about here because we've demonstrated in the slides we've just shown that the LGBT plus agenda is now to be rammed home to the Ukrainian population as well as transmitted to neighbours. And it can't be a mistake because look at this tweet by Richard Moore. Uh, he says, I had to, uh, in introducing P, I had to move for the job when I joined MI6, so I was relieved to find out there was an LGBT plus network group. Through the group, I've made some great friends in the office, and it's reassuring to know it's there for support if I need it. Is he talking about himself there? What, what is introducing P? It's not very clear. It's not clear, but I'm going to say, are we to believe that the head of MH6 is likely to suffer some form of problem that he needs counselling? Uh, does this man need counselling? Because here's Boris praising Ukraine. And um, what's really going on? He says, because the world needs a free and sovereign Ukraine. Well, free and sovereign uh, for Boris means controlled by the US, UK, EU, and BBC. And i just leave. Uh, People with this BBC image, strangely, which shows that NATO and EU expansion right up to the Russian borders. And of course, this is what is causing the Russians such a problem in the first place. So the evidence is there. I think we have not got a full scale invasion going on in Ukraine. We've got something very different. And the Western media is too frightened at the moment to tell the UK population exactly what's happening.
1: Right, David, we're well over time, so we need to accelerate things somewhat here. So uh, let's just put this uh, uh, cartoon up first.
2: Yeah, this just shows there are voices that, that, are, that are seeing things from a different perspective. You've got Uncle Sam having gone through uh, Iraq and, and Libya and Syria and caused horrendous problems, gets to Ukraine and finds the Russian bear at the door and uh, is having to think again. There's an element of truth in that. Um, now, the next, um, the next uh, piece I've got is uh, a lecture from 2015 um, University of Chicago, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Mersheimer. And uh, this is looking much more intelligently about the reality of the situation in the Ukraine.
6: The reason you're playing a losing hand is because this is a competition between economic considerations and security considerations. The basic mindset of people in the West is that you can punish the Russians economically, and they'll throw their hands up. My argument is when security considerations are at stake, when core strategic interests are at stake, and there's no question, ladies and gentlemen, in Russia's case, this is a core strategic interest. Countries will suffer enormously before they throw their hands up. so you can inflict a lot of pain on the russians and they're not going to quit and they're not going to quit because ukraine matters to them and by the way ukraine doesn't matter to us you understand there's nobody calling for us to fight in ukraine even john mccain who up until recently has never seen a war he didn't want (laughs) to fight is not calling for using military force in ukraine what john mccain is saying is not is that ukraine is not a vital strategic interest for the west That's what he's saying. It is a vital strategic interest for the Russians. They've made that perfectly clear. And not just Putin, right? So in terms of the balance of resolve, it's all on their side. And I showed you that slide up there that depicted how much economic leverage the Russians have because of all that natural gas going westward. So we're playing a losing hand here.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's too much argument there.
2: Yeah, this recognises the reality of the situation and the importance of the Ukraine and Sevastopol and the Crimea uh, to to the Russians. Um, uh, Mr. Mersheimer goes on and and explains um, some of the facts on the ground. I've got a couple of quick maps here. One shows the ethnic breakdown of Ukraine. Uh, The red and pink areas, those are Ukrainian and mostly Ukrainian-speaking. The yellow areas uh, are Russian-speaking and the brown Um, Brown areas are are Russian ethnically. So that shows you uh, a very distinct split across the country. And when you then go to the voting, uh, Ukrainian election uh, 2004, this is uh, Yushchenko versus Yanukovych, uh, you see the voting follows exactly that ethnic and linguistic split. And it's the same again in 2010, uh, where it's uh, Timoshenko versus uh, Yankovic, and uh, that you see the split in voting intention, so political allegiance is following the same, uh, the same division. I've got a second clip here from uh, uh, from Mr. Mersheimer who uh, summarizes the situation we currently see very well.
6: But I actually think that what's going on here is that the West is leading. Ukraine down the primrose path. And the end result is that Ukraine is going to get wrecked. And I believe that the policy that I'm advocating, which is neutralizing Ukraine and then building it up economically and getting it out of the competition between Russia on one side and NATO on the other side, is the best thing that could happen to the Ukrainians. What we're doing is encouraging the Ukrainians To play tough with the russians we're encouraging the ukrainians to think that they will ultimately become part of the west because we will ultimately defeat putin and we will ultimately get our way time is on our side and of course the ukrainians are playing along with this and the ukrainians are almost completely unwilling to compromise with the russians and instead want to pursue a hardline policy well, as I said to you before, if they do that, the end result is that their country is going to be wrecked. And what we're doing is, in effect, encouraging that outcome. I think it would make much more sense for us to, neutral, to, to work to create a neutral Ukraine. It would be in our interest to bury this crisis as quickly as possible. It certainly would be in Russia's interest to do so. And most importantly, it would be in Ukraine's interest to put
2: an end to the crisis. Now, <clears throat> he talked there about uh, the degree to which the Ukraine is vital, a vital strategic interest of uh, Russia. Um, against that, uh, I've got here an extract from a document from NATO, uh, the Bucharest summit declaration from the 3rd of April, 2008. Clause 23 reads, NATO welcomes Ukraine's and Georgia's Euro-Atlantic aspirations for membership in NATO. We agreed today that these countries will become members of NATO. That uh, was ex- extremely rash and dangerous, and did no good at all for either of those countries, and was a, a most unwise statement to be making. That was that was reckless. Um, I've. Uh, now, now, going on to another comment here from a um, uh, 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 commentator, Vladimir Posner, um, speaking at Yale University on how the United States created Vladimir Putin. This is from 2018, and we have a short video clip. The,
3: the Russian leadership sees NATO as an existential threat. Rightly or wrongly, that's not the point. The point is that that's the way it's seen. And this is not politics. You know, why would you bring NATO closer and closer to our borders, they say? In Latvia, it's on the border. In Estonia, it's on the border. Now, Ukraine is being is moving westward. It's a complicated issue. The United States has played a certain role in this. That's not the point. It's moving westward. If it ultimately goes into the western fold or whatever you want to call it, then it's logical to surmise that Ukraine will join the European Union and will become a NATO member. Now, Ukraine has a border with Russia. Not only that, but Crimea Which was traditionally Russian, but I'm not. We can go into the the uh, complicated thing about how how Ukraine was Russia then was not a Russian. uh, Not the point. But Sevastopol was always the base of the navy, the Russian navy, um, naval fleet of the Black Sea. So if Crimea remains Ukrainian, and if Ukraine becomes part of NATO. The Russian fleet won't be in Sevastopol, but the the American Sixth Fleet might very well be there. And NATO will be on Russia's southwest border. And the Russians see this as an existential danger. And they say, we will not permit it. Now, does that correspond to international law? No, it doesn't when you talk about existential threat, you say, I don't care about international law, as in the Cuban Missile Crisis. You say, no, we don't give a damn how you feel. We're not going to allow this.
2: And that's the position that the Russians were in, and that's the position that should have been uh, discussed in our parliament and our press and our nation, um, and should have been factored in to reasoned analysis. And it seems simply wasn't.
0: Yes. OK, well, I'm just glad um, somebody mentioned the Cuban Missile Crisis, because of course, when the when the shoe was on the other foot, everything was different. But uh, we can come to that another time.
1: Yes. Now, uh, let's just have a look at what the effect uh, of the sanctions has been on the Russian currency, first of all. So here is uh, from TradingView, uh, the British pound versus the uh, Russian ruble. And we can see what's happened in the last day or so. Uh, the ruble uh, has collapsed, uh, but not just against the pound, against most currencies. So this is against the uh, Chinese yuan. Um, but the question is, what is the impact that that's having in the West? Uh, Russia clearly are, is going to be suffering as a result of that. Uh, but uh, if we have a look at uh, the oil price, well, that has gone up. Uh, finally, gone up five percent or so today, or at least it had just before the program. Um, uh, BP, of course, has got interest in Ukraine, well, that uh, and Russia, and they have. Uh, Uh, their stock price has uh, gone down quite a bit over the last uh, few days. You can see uh, it fell off a cliff there for a while. So it certainly is having an impact on Western companies as well, but also in terms of whether we are going to be be able to eat in the uh, coming days and months, um, the price of wheat uh, going back up to historic highs as well. Um, And then if we just move uh, quickly on, uh, to add on to what Brian was saying as well, I just wanted to highlight this article from Off Guardian, seven fake news stories uh, coming out of Ukraine. And they talk about the uh, uh, ghost of Ukraine. The early Friday morning, it was reported that a strange Ukrainian, or sorry, the single Ukrainian plane, a MiG-29, was patrolling the skies above Kiev. Uh, the English-speaking press called the unnamed pilot, the ghost of Kiev, and claimed he had downed six Russian jets in air-to-air combat in less than two days, making him an official fighter ace and probably Uh, the fastest to ever earn that title. But of course, it wasn't true. Uh, The second example they have, Russian planes flying over Kiev. Uh, A lot of people, they say, have been sharing a a short video of Russian planes allegedly flying low over the city of uh, uh, Kiev. The Times used it as a still from their story. Will sanctions stop a Russian shell? The problem is that it's not Kiev, it's Moscow. And it's not today. It's two years ago. It's footage of what's likely a rehearsal for the 2020 Victory Day Parade pass uh, flyover, uh, and then the third example: Zelensky visiting his troops. Uh, this was mentioned in the chat box earlier. Uh, possibly, no polit- politician in history has had a PR makeover quite as fast as Zelensky. Last week, he just uh, he was just some guy. This week, he's a war hero. There's talk of building statues of the man, uh, and uh, uh, and so Twitter is dotted with people sharing photos of him in combat combat fatigues, comparing him favorably to Trump and Trudeau. And asking what other leaders would fight alongside their troops, uh, but the problem is that the photos are all of, are all about a year old, taken when he visited uh, the uh, Ukrainian troops last April. So you know we have this, uh, and in fact, if we go back a week or so, even the BBC was uh, covering the the fact that there were lots of uh, there was lots of content doing the rounds in social media, attributing things to Ukraine that weren't of Ukraine at all. But unfortunately, oh, The mainstream media seems to have fallen into the trap and is using many of these themselves uh, because it suits their narrative. Um, So uh, let's of course ask the question, what has this done for Boris's reputation? And perhaps a little depressing, uh, we see tweets like this uh, doing the rounds. Uh, Boris has really stepped up and has become the prime minister he was supposed to be in the last couple of days.
0: Uh, Do we agree with that? Uh, some people, some people, bizarrely will. But of course, the reality is that uh, Boris, very dangerous man politically and uh, capable of all sorts of things, he's smiling because he's got away with everything under the guise of this major invasion.
1: Yes, and earlier David was talking about uh, the impact of this on Germany and its defence spending. Well, the EU is also having getting very excited about it. So here's uh, Charles Michel, uh, who is, uh, of course, the uh, president of the European. Uh, Parliament saying, uh, we've long talked about the need for a European defence. I believe it's a necessity. This week, the European of Defence became a concrete reality. Uh, And just to add to that, from a week or so ago, the European Commission pushed out this uh, document, Commission unveils significant actions to contribute to European defence, boost innovations and address strategic uh, dependencies. Um, So the EU very much back on the European Defence Union bandwagon. Um, And uh, Charles Michel again saying, uh, you know, giving his address in English to uh, the brave people of Ukraine, we are organizing the emergency delivery of defensive military equipment, guns, ammunition, rockets and fuel are all on their way to your troops. Uh, Long live Europe uh, and uh, Slava, Ukraine. So, yes what can we say?
0: Well, I'd rather not say anything. I've got my arms folded uh, there, Mike, because we warned and warned what uh, the EU was really up to with defence unification. And now we can see they just want the excuse to do it. But they're not calming the situation in Ukraine. They want to pump in the weapons. They want to create billions of pounds in profit for the uh, weapons manufacturers and, of course, the international banks. So, It's an obscene EU agenda.
1: It is indeed. So let's head over to Italy then. And here is uh, Pino Arlacci, who's a former Italian senator and former UN Under Secretary General. He was part of the uh, UN uh, program on drugs and crime. Uh, And I just wanted to quickly run through a couple of things that he was saying uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, It is Europe that holds the keys to ending Russia's military attack in Ukraine, only if it decides to act instead of bickering between Washington and the Kremlin, as it has done so far. Uh, the time for games is over and precise security guarantees must be put on the table. With the attack on Ukraine, Russia has suddenly closed the diplomatic and political playing field in which Macron and Schultz have been moving with a lot of ease. Well, not quite, because uh, in fact, the markets are uh, reasonably calm today as a result of the fact of the uh, likelihood of, of more negotiations or proper negotiations, perhaps. But anyway, he goes on to say both the Europeans and Biden said Uh, no, thinking they would prolong the mockery of a nuclear power of the caliber of Russia uh, that began 30 years ago with Boris Yeltsin and continued until three days ago. So really making the point that the West has been making a mockery or attempting to make a mockery of Russia uh, and uh, perhaps they're not in a position to do so anymore. Uh, There are those that argue that the real issue for Putin is not the expansion of NATO, but the pure and simple reconstitution of the Russian empire, too bad there's no evidence to support this rambling. Uh, He says, uh, with the fall of the USSR and the dissolution of the Warsaw Pact, the Western powers offered ample assurances to Russian leaders that NATO would not expand eastward after German unification, but nothing was put in writing. No treaty was made because the two sides did not consider it necessary, given the cooperative and friendly relations established between the two former enemies. Uh, Russia felt threatened and when it fe- uh, sorry and when it felt foreign forces intended to transform one of the three founding nations of the cultural religious and political identity of the Russian people the other being Belarus into a militant anti-Russian entity it intervened by fo- force the solution he says uh, since no one has any intention of rushing uh, to the military rescue of Ukraine and since Putin so far doesn't intend to occupy the country The only way forward is an agreement that provides Russia with the security guarantees. It's been unsuccessfully demanding for 30 years in exchange for the cessation of the attack uh, and a long-term commitment to respect the sovereignty of Ukraine. Uh, This can only be done or this can be done by a European initiative, uh, can include the resumption of the Minsk agreements and also the creation of a neutral status for Ukraine. It's no longer time for hand-wringing. Ukraine is entitled to its sovereignty. Russia should no longer feel in danger. And Europe should stop playing with fire just to please
0: its transatlantic master. Uh, I think a great comment, Mike. Um, I'm going to say, how can Ukraine ever be neutral if the BBC is controlling its state media? It's just not possible. So we've got to deal with uh, this, um, uh, what is it, the iron fist in the velvet glove, which is the way the UK and the European Union are operating uh, if we're to achieve that. But uh, you've got to think the right way about uh, the whole Ukraine situation. Look at some of these headlines that have mysteriously popped up. Uh, This is just a little search here with DuckDuckGo. Um, How to talk to children about what's happening in Ukraine and World War III anxiety. How to talk to kids about what's happening in Ukraine right now. How do I talk to my children about Russia's assault on Ukraine? So according to this attack on our sensibilities, parents in UK are now too stupid to teach their own children about what's happening in the world. They need to be told how to do it. Well, of course, this is an applied behavioral psychological attack to change the way we think and behave. And this is what the Ukrainians really need to wake up to because... The moment the West has got a full foothold in the country, this is the type of psychological attack they're going to be unleashing on the Ukrainian population. Mm. And uh, I'll just add this one in, bloodshed in Ukraine. It brought my mind to, oh, what a lovely war, because of course, it for many people, it is a lovely war. The BBC gloats because it's got more... Uh, Fear, injury, and death, which uh, clearly the BBC reporters love. Uh, Boris is laughing because all of his destructive COVID-19 policies and parties have disappeared into the media long grass. The COVID-19 lockdowns, deaths of tens of thousands of vulnerable elderly in UK—that's all been forgotten. Millions of vaccine adverse reactions and thousands of deaths are now swept under the carpet. And of course, the international banking cartel has been given power to punish by finance Um, as they can also ramp up the profits by selling those arms. So I'm going to put forward that this is a lovely war for a great many people.
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, So if you like, if you like what the UK Column does, you'd like to support us. Well, you can't go to ukcolumn.org forward slash community anymore. Uh, The new URL is uh, community.ukcolumn.org. So uh, please head over to community.ukcolumn.org if you would like to uh, support us. Uh, But also... uh, uh, you'll find, uh, if you find any of our material online uh, and you'd like to share it, that would be of great usefulness as well.
0: Indeed. And uh, we just put up a little advert here that uh, Patrick Henningsen appeared on GB uh, News yesterday talking about Russia sanctions. And uh, if you haven't seen that clip, you might go and have a look and see what Patrick had to say. Okay. Oh. Okay, Uh, where does that take us? Uh, Canada, Canada,
1: David, and you have a little bit of video here with respect to Canada and Romania.
2: Yes, we've spoken already how the West is now suffering from the evil unleashed by the communists of the former Eastern Bloc. Um, And uh, here we have a a woman who grew up under those communists and who can recognize uh, what now afflicts us uh, when she sees it once again
4: i was born and raised in communist romania a little bit of history romania was a monarchy uh, before 1947 then um, the communists came to power they forced the king to abdicate and then they took over the country there were five important steps that led to romania becoming communist or falling under communism number one they closed churches number two they closed small businesses they destroyed them number three they took all property away from all of us number four they stopped us from traveling abroad and number five finally they introduced universal basic income can you see the similarities
2: Yes. So she sees it. Uh, she sees it very plainly because she was brought up in it. And it's interesting to see universal basic income, which has of course been brought in to some extent during the COVID crisis by the back door, um, making a starring role there. Um, what, I've got one other bit of video here uh, on the situation in Canada. And it's Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump sometimes is a great disappointment, sometimes he's a great inspiration Um, uh, but he is a wild card and he will he will call things in a way that goes against the interests of the ruling elite he is a maverick um, and he is not controlled and here he speaks about the Canadian trucker the
7: tyranny we have witnessed in Canada in recent weeks should shock and dismay people all over the world In an advanced Western democracy, the peaceful movement of patriotic truckers, workers and families protesting for their most basic rights and liberties has been violently put down. Their assets and life savings have been frozen. They have been slandered as Nazis racists and terrorists. These are the names they've been called. They've been arrested and charged with phony crimes. They've been falsely accused of loyalty to foreign powers. I watched them. I saw those maple leaves all over the flags and the love for their country. Plenty of Americans were there too. And they love our country. They're being hunted down like enemies of their own government and Treated worse than drug dealers and murderers or rapists. A line has been crossed. You're either with the peaceful truckers or you are with the left-wing fascists. And that's what's been happening. And it's been a strong line. We stand with the truckers and we stand with the Canadian people in their noble quest to reclaim their freedom.
2: So, calling out the left-wing fascists there are not many political leaders or former political leaders in the West who would do that.
1: Yes, okay. Well, let's uh, move on with Canada and uh, bring Kitty Joe onto the pro- programme. Sorry we're so late, Kitty Jo. But, uh, uh, Hi, the, no the, worries. The first headline cover. here is uh, Community hopes to create hate-free zone after convoy protest.
8: Yeah, so um, the CBC News um, has posted an article that shows Um, what it's like in Ottawa now. The truckers have gone, and apparently dozens have gathered at Minto Park to show support for residents and businesses that over the last four weeks have suffered from the presence of the Freedom Convoy. Um, Apparently, um, yeah, Claire Hertig, the lady in the picture there, um, is a resident, and apparently being Jewish, she didn't feel safe going out whilst the convoy was there. Um, And after receiving several reports, of assaults and threats, the Ottawa Police have set up a crime hotline to investigate crimes related to the demonstrations. Um, and there's uh, on the next slide there's a there's a there's a um, one of the organisers there, um, Hassan Husini. Um, he says that this is the beginning of our organising against the extreme right, against white supremacists in the city. We are not going to let it happen. The group are planning a march next Saturday. Well, this is completely different to the story, a completely different story to what Shannon Stubbs, um, a Conservative MP for Lakeland, said when I quoted her last week. She said the complete opposite. Um, She said, you know what the truth is? In the last six years, I've never felt safer on my walk um, than in the last three weeks. Um, There's also uh, a video that the CTV News have reported saying that there is still a small group of around 100 protesters protesting in Ottawa on foot against the mandates and they are saying they're going to be there every day um, and they'll remain peaceful but they will continue to protest until the mandates are lifted. The convoy is still carrying on in Winnipeg and other provinces um, and the government is still holding Canadians prisoners without bail for peacefully peacefully protesting Pat Lynch and Tamar, uh, Pat King and Tamara Lynch, uh, two of the organisers of the, of the Freedom Convoy, um, uh, probably the most well known to people. Um, yeah, they've been denied bail, um, which is just absolutely horrific.
1: Yeah. Okay. And uh, you wanted to show a little bit of video here?
8: Yeah, a little bit of yeah video of the. Uh, of the march on Saturday was amazing, the Unite for Freedom March. Um, I've lost count of how many marches I've been on now. Um, I've been there as myself, as Polly Darton, with friends and family, always with my mum and my Auntie Jane. And the protests were always uplifting, even the ones where the police have behaved like criminals. Um, But but Saturday was amazing because the sun was shining and the response from everyone, um, now that I'm recognizable, I suppose, from the UK column news was was wonderful. Um, I'd like to thank everybody that took time to talk to me um, and say they all said such wonderful things about the uh, the show UK column uh, show and um yeah I uh, had a friend of mine just took a short little video um of the day it's only two minutes long if you've got well
1: we're not we're not show. gonna be able to sh- we're not gonna be able to show it all but oh, we'll show I'll okay. we'll show some of it here so let's let's have a look at this
8: lovely right. we will fight.
3: since August 2020, okay. so probably about okay.
1: 20 times I've been up to London yeah. Yeah.
8: Yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, everything is done through the
0: back door, people aren't aware, and you know it's getting more and more into a dictatorship to a town yeah. yeah. uh, it's really important. FREEDOM! <laughs> yeah, well, say, I mean, you know, they've got You've got perfect techniques
8: to brainwash people and it's all to do with their servitude isn't it you know the cow shed. i was like the cow print we love like, we kind of had to make a sign to oh, amazing really? <laughs> oh,
5: okay. okay so if you're watching
0: <laughs> okay so well it's
8: good. yeah i managed... sorry
0: I was just going to say, it's good to see some happy people. So people who are thinking and want to uh, speak out about what's happening, but they're also looking happy and it's really good to see. Yes. Okay, thanks Kitty Joe, thanks for that. Um, let's, uh, let's
1: move on here to Deutsche Telekom, move on to co- uh, COVID issues because Deutsche Telekom, according to Reuters, is to build the uh, global COVID vaccine verification uh, app for the World Health Organization. Um, and uh, well, there's not really much more to say about that. They have been given; uh, they've signed a contract with Deutsche Telekom subsidiary T Systems to build this software solution for global electronic verification of uh, coronavirus vaccine certificates, uh, and it's going to be QR-based, QR code-based QR code software solution. Uh, and they said that uh, in a statement on Wednesday that the World Health the, sorry the World Health Organization would support its 194 member states in building national and regional verification technology that will work alongside this. Um, The financial details weren't disclosed, so we don't know the size of the contract. Um, Health is a strategic growth area for T-Systems, said T-Systems Chief Executive Officer, uh, Adele Al Uh, Saleh. T-Systems previously worked on with SAP to develop Germany's Corona Warn app, tracing and verification app, uh, and a Europe-wide digital COVID-19 vaccine verification system. So that looks like it's gonna be rolled out globally. Um, but uh, David, the question then is: Why are th- there are so many heart attacks?
2: Yes. Yeah, so the Daily Skeptic asked this. This is based on uh, information from the Health Advisory Recovery Team Heart, uh, who have based a report on um, responses from ten ambulance trusts in England, uh, recording the number of cardiac uh, calls for cardiac and respiratory arrests. And uh, you see here the uh, the figures. Which are quite striking. So you see this uh, plateau of uh, of much higher uh, levels of call-out for cardiac and respiratory arrest, um, and it's it's up by you know get, getting on for forty percent uh, over the norm, uh, that sort of order. So it's very very significantly elevated. Um, I've also got here uh, some information from uh, Germany a uh, translation of a letter from a Professor Tutek uh, uh, to the Pell-Ehrlich Institute um, and uh, basically what they're saying is um, that uh, based on physicians uh, billing data as a basis for analysis uh, they, they believe there's massive underreporting of COVID adverse reactions. Um, they actually Uh, have estimated, uh, or they have got data that's that's um, totaling information on 10 million insured persons, and from that database, uh, they have uh, found uh, 217,000 treated cases of vaccine side effects, Um, and if those uh, figures are extrapolated to the German population as a whole, it comes to between two and a half and three million people. Have had to go to the doctor to be treated for the uh, adverse effects of the vaccination. That's some four to five percent of the entire population. And they conclude since we cannot rule out the danger to human life, we asked for your report um, on your response by the 22nd of February 2022. Uh, That response, when it came in, was described as disappointing. Uh, It uh, firstly um, raised concerns over the 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 data, and it's simple, hard data that, that's that been used here, but they're saying, oh, it doesn't go into enough detail. We don't know if these are just minor um, uh, effects on vaccination that really wouldn't normally be recorded. It's people going to see the physician and it's in an insurance claim uh, uh, as a result. So uh, that, that that doesn't really seem very convincing. Um, they then go on to say the Ehrlich Institute has been has begun planning a non-interventional study to comprehensively investigate the long-term safety of the only COVID-19 vaccines available in the EU and thus also in Germany. This study is going to be funded, in and go on it. it's going to be launched. The study is due to be launched in the near future. So there we go. We've maybe um, uh, had uh, some um, uh, quarter... Uh, sorry, if, it was three, four million Germans affected by adverse reactions. Four to five percent of the entire population—a level of adverse reactions we've never seen before uh, in any uh, vaccine rollout. And the regulators are saying, "Well, in the future, we'll, 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 we'll study this. We'll look into it. Don't you worry." Um, and that's obviously after the harm has been done.
1: Yes, right. Look, David, I'm afraid we're out of time, but before we go, uh, we should just put uh, uh, the donations for uh, legal fees for David Noakes up on screen here. Uh, And uh, well, we should be pretty proud of that. I think with, you know, well done to the family for running this campaign and uh, well done to the UK column members that supported it. Uh, We've
0: we've definitely got to say that. Now, I believe that something may be happening in the courts today, or at least is imminent uh, around David Noakes. As soon as we get information on that, we will, of course, report it back to our audience and for the benefit of people who contributed to that uh, uh, appeal. But a very important one. Um, We've got other uh, appeals which we're looking at at the moment um, to do with, we think, very good causes. We just want to say thank you so much for donating.
1: Yes. Uh, And David, just uh, end with the final slide then.
2: Final slide, meme for the day. This is taken from the film Network, uh, and the, the text reads, reads the, the news used to tell you that something happened, and then you had to decide what you thought about it. Now the news tells you how to think about something, and you now have to decide if it even happened.
1: Yeah.
2: And, I think, uh, I think, that, I think
1: that fits very well with the whole Ukraine narrative at the moment, doesn't
0: it?
2: That's where we are with the Ukraine, yeah. Yes, yeah.
7: yeah.
0: Okay, well, we're going to end there and uh, thank you to all of our listeners and viewers today. Obviously, there is so much to try and cover in the news. We've we've had to cut short some of the things that we were going to uh, talk about today, but that's the nature of uh, events in the world in 2022. Can we also say a very, very big thank you to UK Column subscribers, but just a little gentle reminder that if you're an annual membership, um, do check out whether it's due for renewal or perhaps it slipped your mind. Uh, we want you to stay with us. So thanks very much if you can just do that.
1: We'll be back in a few minutes on the uh, main live stream for uh, some extra. And otherwise, we'll see you on uh, at 1pm on Wednesday.
0: Excellent. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.